On this week's show, the NFL draft was held virtually for the first time due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and we have part two of our interview with head coach Sparky McEwen, a former arena football player, head coach, and arena bowl champion. In our two-minute history lesson, we tell the story of the only time that Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi ever faced each other on the gridiron. That and much more this week in the world of football. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another Wear a Mask When You're Out in Public edition of This Week in the World of Football. This is episode number 142 for April 28th, 2020. I'm your host, Randy Snow, and across the table from me, as always, is my son, Adam. We actually have real-life football stuff to talk about. Yeah, man, it's nice to have something new to talk about. I mean, stuff that's actually going on right now, or or was this past weekend, anyway. Yeah, record-setting viewings. Yeah, we're going to talk all about that here in a minute. We come to you each week from the World of Football Man Cave, located right here in the center of the football world, Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're here to promote the game of football in all its many forms, past, present, and future. From the NFL to the CFL, college, high school, and indoor football, we inform and entertain our listeners with the glorious buffet that is the world of football. All this while keeping a close eye on the rich history of the game. Thanks for checking out our podcast. If you... Uh, don't mind, we'd love to get your feedback on one of our many platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So let's talk about what happened this past week and what a weekend it was. Yes, it was yes. the NFL Draft. Yes, about time. We were wondering how this was all going to work out with it being a virtual draft. And I think for the most part, other than maybe a few little noticeable hiccups, mm-hmm. It actually went by a lot smoother than I think most people uh, would have anticipated. Yeah, I had no problem with it at all. I mean, they they had you know interviews with people. They had uh, uh, you know Roger Goodell from his basement, and uh, yeah, there was just uh, there was a lot of stuff going on, and it it all went fairly smooth. And to be honest, maybe even a little more uh, behind the curtains than we anticipated. We, we right. might have suspected a little bit, you know, with probably cameras and all the prospects rooms. But on top of it, the head coaches and the general right. managers right. and. Uh, everybody was talking about Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury's uh, house <laughs> Mansion, and yard. Palatial Good, estate. <laughs> goodness gracious. It, it was crazy. And then you see Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, has a similar kind of house, the same kind of yard outside. It was just, it was crazy. Then you have Bill Belichick, who's got his dog sitting there making draft picks for him. So <laughs> could that be the real genius behind the Patriots di- dynasty the last 20 years? Did you see that somebody made a, uh, the Lego a, a, version, a Lego of, the, version yeah. of his house in <laughs> the, the backyard? And the, <laughs> wow. I'm telling you, the, the, the meme community out there had a field weekend mm. with the NFL draft between uh, – questionable picks to you know just uh screenshots and you know all these coaches being in their living rooms it was just a a dream for people to get all these fun nfl memes out this weekend i think it was a very unique perspective this year because yeah you did get to see uh the coaches in their homes you know making the pick you saw the general managers at their homes you you would you didn't get a stock uh camera footage from a war room somewhere with Jerry Jones and a bunch of yes men. Oh, yeah, Jerry Jones on his yacht. On his yacht, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was interesting to see all these places. Um, I, I forget who it was, but there was one player that got drafted and, uh, uh, you know, was in their house. All, all these people were at their home with their parents, maybe a few other relatives. And my first thought was, 
wow, you ought to take some of that bonus money and buy a new couch because that's awful. <laughs> yeah, so there were some really bad but, setups. Some people had some cool setups. Right, I, yeah. I, I forget some... the, the player who got drafted, I feel fairly early on, or maybe it was on the second day of the draft, but he had a Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman mural yes, just in the living room. I was like, well, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. And then it, yeah, it was refreshing to see, you know, these people's homes. In most cases, it's their parents' home. And, and it was with immediate family. It wasn't like some of these years you get, like, the big prospects who are still at home, and they got the whole neighborhood there just so they could all be on TV. Right, but I think yeah. he's got the essential people there sure. to... Yep, a handful of people, not a whole lot. Because, like, Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick, you know, went to the Bengals. All he had sitting there was his mom and his dad. Yep, that's, that's all it. he had. And Nobody else that we know of was, that we know was there. Of, uh, but those were the three people on camera, and I think the the virtual drafts had a, and I think we'll probably see this going forward from now on for these players especially who aren't invited right. to like a location of the draft which we'll talk about for next year but right. you know a lot of these other guys who are sitting at home and in the third round and you can just ESPN or whatever network is carrying the draft can go to your house and show a video of you yep. and your family just kind of sitting there on a on a webcam right and I think it was a lot more fun. I think it'll give a lot more guys some exposure. And one of the cool stories, and we haven't even talked about the the first round yet, but my one of my favorite moments was a third rounder who went to the Lions, uh, Aquora, who the Lions already have the big brother on the team, and right. they drafted the little brother. Yeah. And it was funny hearing them saying, like, hey, we're going to be roommates. Yeah, you we're going to get bunk beds or something. Yeah. <laughs> so just fun moments like that that you probably wouldn't normally get. But, I mean, it was an unprecedented amount of access yeah, this yeah, year uh, on all fronts, which I think was refreshing. It, I, I am a little bummed we couldn't get, like, the cool Vegas experience, you know, and they kept flashing the Vegas downtown and how yeah, dead they, it looked. Yeah, they did it, like, every day. They showed uh, empty streets in Las Vegas, and I was like, you did that the first day. We get it. Nothing's going on in Vegas. You're not there. But they had to show it every day. But And then, man, uh, shots of the ESPN campus <laughs> got a lot of love. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another deserted campus with nobody around. Pretty much every once in a while, you see one person walking around in, like, one of those tunnels above the <laughs> the road. Mm -hmm. but. It was just it was just interesting all around, and I think you know anybody who had seen a draft before, this was a semi refreshing take on a draft because yeah, we see the same thing year in and year right. out. Players right. come up to the podium, and it was nice to see the NFL kind of have to pivot and um, do some stuff differently this year. While a lot of stuff stayed the same, like the network still had their talking heads, right. they still had Mel Kiper talking about every pick when they sure. popped up, and I think. As much as I watched, there was like only one player early on that first couple of days where they had no like no footage of the guy. There was one guy they didn't have any right, footage yeah. on at one point. But yeah, it seems like every year, you know, the NFL tries to outdo itself with this draft coverage, yeah. and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and more lavish and more extravagant. And all all of a sudden this year, you know, this was going to be probably the biggest one yet in Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas doesn't do anything small, so right. it was going to be spectacular. And with the Raiders being the host team, right? Yeah. So, so it, it was. It was refreshing to see him just take a step back and say, you know what, we don't need all this lavish stuff, uh, even though we can do it. Uh, we're just going to have cameras in people's homes, and we're going to talk to them after they get picked, and we're going to, you know, uh, do all this stuff, and it's it's all going to be virtual this year. And it was refreshing. I kind of liked it. And I mean, we got this dotted for later, but we might as well talk about it now. And the fact that this made it the most viewed draft ever with more than 55 million viewers yeah. over the three days, mm -hmm. uh, a 35% increase from last year alone. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you called it. You said that this was going to be the biggest it, it, uh, TV event uh, for or, a while. Or at least it, for the draft. Yeah. And, and 
it was because there's nothing going on. There was nothing else going on, and the NFL is already big enough. And now you got everybody stuck in their homes. People who like, I'll admit, like the Thursday, you know, when they do the opening night of the draft on Thursday night. I'm usually like, well, I gotta go to bed at like right. ten o'clock. I gotta, you gotta work go to work next. on Friday. That's stupid. It should go back. Like I keep saying, and you were up till midnight watching the I whole was. first round. Yeah. And, I fell man. asleep with the last couple picks, but I was up a lot later than yeah. you. Yeah, but no, it, it it needs to go back to Saturday and Sunday where you just veg on the couch all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Forget the Thursday night prime time. Forget the Friday night. Put it all back on Saturday and Sunday. And what and what else these numbers don't show is that was the, for the draft itself between you know the eight o'clock start time Thursday to midnight, then the right. Friday start at seven to midnight or one, whatever that ended, right. and then noon to whenever it wrapped up on uh, Saturday. That doesn't include the amount of people who are waiting for the draft to start watching all those networks prior to the draft. Right, just. Nobody else had anything going on. Because it was on NBC, wasn't it? Or it was ABC, ABC ESPN, and NFL Network okay. simulcast everything. Right. So, I mean, which I thought was weird, especially for NFL Network kind of partnering up with ESPN. But I wonder if that was more of a because the, they had the technology. Maybe the, just the technology, but also the, probably the commissioner going, "Well, I'm not doing two camera setups in my house for these two networks. We're gonna have one." And you all got to play nice. Mm. So ESPN, you know, maybe had a lot of the means to host a lot of stuff. For the most part, because they still got NFL analyst, NFL Network analysts into sure. the broadcast too, sure. so uh, a little more playing nice than I would have expected. But yeah, it was it was a refreshing because we were watching NFL Network when it started, and I was like, "What's Trey Wingo doing on NFL Network right now?" <laughs> and then quickly find out that ESPN was the one kind of hosting the thing, but NFL Network simulcast everything. So it was yeah. interesting. So um. And then also, you know, during the draft, they had the NFL Draftathon fundraiser, which uh, collected more than a hundred million dollars for COVID nineteen relief. Yeah, that was awesome. It, it was a cool thing. They, you know, they had artists pop in every now and then on the show, which uh, I could have cared less about some of the artists they got and some of the sure. renditions they butchered. Yep. Some were better than others, <laughs> but even then, I get what they were doing. You know, if there's a fan of Luke Bryan or whatever his name was, Luke Bryan, mm. the country musician that played. I don't care about him. But certain people did, and you know they they attracted a lot of different yes, people. They, to... they tried to appeal to to the vast majority of, of fans, of so. the diversity of fans, and uh, and it worked. Yep. You know they they got a lot of money, and good for them. Uh, so yeah, kudos to the NFL and and ESPN for doing this. All right, let's let's go through some of the uh, the first round picks anyway. Uh, number one overall, nobody's surprised. I think I think this has to be one of the most accurate openings of a draft at least in the recent first, memory yeah, three four or five picks yeah and we talked about it during the draft like you know joe burrow going number one was kind of a lock sure. so and not, not even any big trades until after the top 10 picks were done i believe and it, it was just weird to me and you you know a lot of these teams when they're going through their interview process with these players you know and their personal workouts and whatnot part of me kind of was skeptical thinking are some of these gms and Coaches just going to bank on the mountains of research that a lot of these quote-unquote experts have done to help them out with their draft, and maybe that's why some of these mock drafts will be a lot more accurate than normal. I don't know if that's 100% the case, but it did turn out that the mock drafts were a lot more accurate than normal, or maybe it was just that predictable of a draft. Well, you know, they did have the combine in Indianapolis. They did so, that at least. So that that's, I think, where a lot of teams really make up their minds because they talk to the players they want. Maybe in the later rounds, not so much, but... You know, for the top players, they they know yeah. they, they've talked to the kid. You know, they got to watch him work out for a couple of days. But then you got some people like Tua. We'll talk about in a second. Tua Tungavaloa, his injury concerns. There's a lot of pe- uh, players with injury concerns, and that's something else you got to factor in. So, 
that he could easily have slipped even further because of the injury concerns. True. And, yeah. And the Dolphins botched, you know, Drew Brees back in the day with his injury concerns, and that's why he never ended up as a Dolphin. Yeah. So anyway, continue. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, starting with round one, like I said, uh, no surprise. Everybody knew this was going to happen. Cincinnati took LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. That's three straight years, a Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall. Yeah, yeah. And at number two, the Redskins took uh, Ohio State defensive end Chase Young. We all knew that was going to happen, too, pretty uh, much. Even though some of us hoped it wouldn't have happened, I was yep. really hoping Washington would trade out or yeah. get a quarterback. For, yeah, we wanted him in Detroit. I but... wanted Chase Young, but at number three, the Lions got the guy. His I would have taken second to Chase Young anyway. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State quarterback or corner cornerback uh, Jeff Okuda, uh, so you know those first three picks right there was is basically what everybody said was going to happen. Yep. And uh, and then at number five you had Miami taking uh, Tua Tagovailoa uh, from the uh, the Alabama quarterback. And that was pretty much predicted too. That's where he was going to go. And there was talk of trade uh, with Detroit, you know, moving out of that number three spot. So Nothing ever could, materialized. Yeah, th- th- and that's all it was, was talk. Yes, there was talk. Yes, there were discussions. But nothing concrete came out of any of them. So, you know, Detroit stayed at the number three pick and, and took uh, Okuda. So then, uh, let's see, who else we got here? Number, number six, six, the L.A. Chargers took Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. Um, number 12, the Las Vegas Raiders, making their first pick as the Las Vegas Raiders. They took uh, Alabama wide receiver Henry Ruggs III. At number 15, Denver took Alabama wide receiver Jerry Judy, which you know you were talking about this guy quite a bit, I think. Yeah, he, leading he up was probably one of the better receivers that I would have gone with if I were mm-hmm. Detroit. Definitely wouldn't have taken him number three overall. If, if Detroit could have traded back and didn't get like an Okuda or right. um, maybe even some of these other guys that kind of went early on, uh, he probably would have been towards the top of my list at, you know, in a 15 to 20 range. Like if you can Mm. snag that receiver in that range, that's great value for that kind of player. But I mean, whatever he goes to Denver and Denver made a couple of weird, uh, their first two picks were wide receivers, which I thought was very strange. Mm. Their first and second (laughs) round pick. Yeah. Uh, And I have a friend who uh, is a Broncos fan. And even she was like, what are we doing? Two (laughs) wide receivers. What's going on? (laughs) But then another team that we're about to jump to next, another head scratching move. At uh, number 26, the Green Bay Packers selected Utah quarterback Jordan Love. Green Bay moved up four spots to get the what everybody's dubbing is Aaron Rodgers' successor. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I watched the bowl game, or the I think it was the Pac-12 championship game where it was Utah and Oregon. Mm. And Jordan Love, obviously the quarterback for Utah, I was not impressed. I didn't get it. I, cl- clearly, it's one game. Right. And one game does not a... Uh, a prospect's you know career make but i even i was like i just i don't see it and <laughs> i think it's weird that green bay reached up for a quarterback when uh you have aaron Rodgers, who as far as he looks he could last another four or five sure. maybe six years sure. uh depending on his love for the game but you know they needed so much more i think and, and green bay fell short in that nfc championship game why aren't you loading up on the stuff that hurts you in that game? Like you let a lot of passes go and you need a defense and uh, they made a lot of head scratching moves, Green Bay. So I think a lot of people are kind of sour on Green Bay, but Hey, who are we to judge what a lot of these teams are doing with their picks? They know what they need or want to do with their picks. And, you know, we might give them an F grade, but they're probably like, we did what we thought we could where we were and got the guys we wanted. So, it, it, the draft's a weird crapshoot like that. We all criticize from the outside, but internally, you know, all these teams are thinking they nailed it, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, this is the same thing going on right now in Green Bay is when they selected Rodgers, you know, and they still have Brett Favre. Brett Favre yep. had had a few years ago. Rodgers sat on the bench for what, three years? Yep. Waiting for his turn to, to become the starting quarterback? Well, now it's it's uh, Rodgers' turn to have somebody sitting on the bench for a couple of years waiting to take over for him. Will it be three years? Uh, who knows? Will it will it be sooner? <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll see. But you know, it's it's kind of the same you know situation. Just uh, several years later, that uh, they they've got their replacement, or they think they've got their replacement, and and uh, we'll see how long it takes him to to get in there. We'll see. And I could be very much wrong about this kid, and he could be the next Aaron Rodgers who plagues the Detroit Lions for another two decades. So yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Well, hopefully they we screwed, don't. Want hopefully that the Packers have screwed this pick up royally, and that would make me oh. so happy. Thank you, Green Bay. I hope you did screw it up. And the last pick you highlighted here was at number 32 in the first round, the Kansas City Chiefs taking LSU running back Clyde Edwards uh, Hilaire, uh, the only running back in the first round taken, yeah. and it was the last pick. And yeah, you were kept, almost you were getting ready to write down no running backs they taken. They kept talking the, about that. Are we going to see a running back in the first round? Well, it took them to the very last pick in the first round to finally select somebody took a running back. So I just thought that was interesting, so I, that's why I highlighted that one. But another thing that I'd heard about a few days leading up to the draft was that uh, a gentleman, uh, his name escapes me and I didn't write it down, but he is uh, he's a disabled veteran. He had both of his legs shot off over in Afghanistan or somewhere in the Middle East, and he is starting up a wheelchair football league, and the NFL is going to help finance uh, this league. So uh, right now there's going to be four teams, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Kansas City, uh, they're looking to maybe debut this fall, but um, you know, with the COVID nineteen thing, who knows when it'll actually kick off. But it's supposed to be played on a like a sixty yard field. I think it's twenty two yards wide, and there's going to be seven players per side. And I just thought this was great. I mean, we've all seen, you know, like uh, wheelchair basketball being played. Uh, we've seen uh, hockey played by disabled uh, players. Uh, we've even seen. Uh, Oh gosh, what other disabled? Well, there's sports? the young, there's the young man who plays quarterback who has no uh, right, uh, right legs for uh, I forget his name. I follow him on Instagram, but he's a fun follow. He he's gotten to do a lot of cool stuff, and his dream is to play quarterback someday. And right, uh, I don't know if this, if this is a wheelchair league, and I'm not saying this is where he'll play, but you know, I think there needs to be more leagues like this to give opportunity to people out there. But then you have somebody like, um, uh, the Griffin, uh. Defensive Shaquem bit. Griffin, uh, yeah, Shaquille, Shaquille Griffin, uh, who's out there in the NFL without a hand, you know, mm-hmm. who's an excellent story, you know, and, right. and and I think we need more of this. But my original point is we've we've got yeah. wheelchair basketball, we've got hockey right. played by those folks, we've got um, uh, even wheelchair baseball. I mean, this, I've seen where they built special uh, baseball fields for kids in wheelchairs to be able to play baseball. And, uh, you know, it's specially made so, so the wheelchairs can go from base to base and all this and that. So, I mean, you got baseball, you got basketball, you got hockey. Why have we never seen a wheelchair football before? I mean, I've seen unicycle football leagues uh, where guys are playing football on unicycles, but uh, never this type of a wheelchair football league. So I think this is great. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing some of it. Uh, you'll probably see them on ESPN when they start debuting yeah. because they are, you know, helping – uh, to be sponsored by the NFL. At least so the I, NFL Network. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, speaking of other draft picks, the Lions' sixth-round pi- uh, pick, defensive tackle John uh, Penasini, he played at Utah, but before he played at uh, the big colleges, he played at a community college, which we've talked about many times on our show, 
Snow Community College in Ephraim, Utah. So I oh. think it's pretty cool that uh, somebody that went to Snow College is now playing for See, the Lions. That, I didn't know that. I don't know where you dug that up at. But I remember seeing, I showed you the graphic. Another player's brother was currently playing at right. Snow College. That graphic showed up. I right. saw. No, yeah, your brother Aaron, our marketing director, he sent me oh. that uh, information. That, Wait a minute. Uh, we have a marketing director? Yes. I haven't seen him around the office. Yeah, well, talk to HR about that. Um, I'm looking at <laughs> HR right now, and I didn't but know no, about he, this. He sent me that information for this guy because he, he knows that we've talked about Snow Community College and uh, in years past when they've had their football team going on. Uh, and and the very last pick in the year, very last pick in the draft this year, number 255, the New York Giants selected Georgia linebacker Tay Crowder. So he's Mr. Relevant this year. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be able to have a big parade for him or a big festival. That's probably, probably all, gotten, parade. all gotten canceled. I mean, I'm sure they'll mail him his Lozman trophy that he gets for being the last pick in the draft. But uh, I always like to, to keep an eye on the uh, the last pick in the draft and see, did they make it? You know, How many years did they stick with the team? Uh, did they even make it through training camp? Who I can't knows? even tell you who the guy was last year. This, no, th- I don't. this should be the time of the year where you bring us up to date on some of the most recent <laughs> Mr. Irrelevance. Yeah, well, that, that's true. Maybe next year I'll do that. How about next week? Uh, next week's history lesson, the Mr. Irrelevance. Hmm. Where are they now? Interesting. There you go. There's a freebie. <laughs> Marketing director might behind. <laughs> and then the last program thing we... director over here. Yeah. And then the last thing we've got is uh, next year's draft. They announced the dates just today. Uh, the next year's draft is going to be in Cleveland, and it's going to be April 29th through May 1st. And because Las Vegas got uh, screwed out of having their draft this year, they're going to go back to Las Vegas in 2022. So you got the next two years of NFL drafts already. Yeah, but how about that going to Cleveland go. for Cleveland's 75th anniversary, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool. So. Yeah. There, there was a guy with the last name of Cleveland in the draft this year, and I don't think he got picked by Cleveland. Yeah, I think he got picked by somebody else. Oh wow! Good, good little factoid there. Did our well, marketing researcher think, give I, that to you too? I just now happen to think when when you're talking about Cleveland, it reminded me of that. All right, moving on to a little XFL news. Uh, former Commissioner Oliver Luck uh, was fired the day before the XFL filed for bankruptcy, and this is yeah, sig- didn't we talk about that a little bit last we week? We did, we did, but a little more detail has come out about this. Uh, well, the the only thing we had last week was that he was suing over uh, wrongful uh, termination. termination yeah. But it came out a few days after our podcast last week that he was actually fired the day before the league filed for bankruptcy because, according to the article I read, he was supposed to receive between twenty and twenty five million dollars over five years over the five years of his contract, which was supposedly all guaranteed, whether the league folded or not. Therefore. If you fire him the day before you fold your league, you don't owe him that money. Mm. That's where this whole lawsuit yeah, is coming so, in at. So, what a shame! Like the, this promising league just yeah. up in smoke. I, I mean, yep. not through any fault of its own at first, but then like we get having to shut down for the rest of the year. You sure, know? I but totally to, get the fact that they had to shut down this year. But to have the three years of funding you b- bragged about, and then just to up and yeah, be like, nope, we're folding. What? Yeah. And then, and then to screw your commissioner out of guaranteed money. Yep. And, and a guy who did nothing but promote your league. Yeah. I saw him on countless programs. Oh, yeah. Colin was, Cowherd, he ESPN. You know, he was on, you know, like the Pat McAfee show. He was on all these other things. The guy you never would have thought twice, you know, about. And I knew Oliver Luck's name because of him doing right. this. Not just because he was Andrew Luck's dad, but he was all over the place promoting your league for you. And then obviously adding to the 
the beer snake uh, in Washington that one <laughs> the game. Beer, beer cup snake. The beer cup snake. Like, how cool of a commit. You don't see Roger Goodell going out and putting his beer in the, yeah. the beer snake like that. So yeah. uh, Oliver Luck would go down in commissioner history for me, but <laughs> I think he got screwed. And, oh, he definitely got screwed. So I'm, I don't know, and I heard people speculating that he's not going to see all that $25 million. They're going to probably settle out of court, and he might bring home what? Not even half that, maybe. Maybe I don't know. Eight to twelve million, maybe. I don't know, but but still, that's that. That was a, a terrible thing to do to fire the guy just you know the day before. Say, oh well, he didn't do everything we wanted him to do, so we were firing him. Yeah, wrong. I I think that's crap. Everything's on his side. I think in this case, I'm no legal expert. You never saw Vince McMahon one time during this whole no. the whole season, the whole five weeks that they were there. It was always wonder, Andrew Luck. I wonder if Andrew not, Oliver uh, Luck. Oliver. I wonder if <laughs> Oliver Luck had something to do with that being the commissioner. Like, look. I get your bankroll in this, and you hired me to do this job, but you need to stay behind the scenes if we're going to make this a legitimate football league. You could be very and maybe McMahon like didn't that. like that his ego wasn't getting out there hmm. this time around, even though at first when he came out, he said he wanted to make it a legitimate football league. Right. And after that, you never saw him. Right. So who knows? I mean, I'm, put, I'm, I'm putting up all this money, and nobody's seen me yet. I'll wait for, I'll wait for the uh, – Ten part documentary series to come out about the XFL. A thirty for thirty about the another thirty for thirty XFL. Yeah, instead of the original one. Interesting. All right, a little bit of college news. Uh, Urbana University in Ohio, which plays at the NAIA level, uh, is closing its doors for good. The whole school is. Uh, it was founded in 1850, uh, but low enrollment over the last pu- uh, couple of years uh, has had them thinking about doing this. But it was the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that really was the final straw that caused the school to, to close. And it, it's interesting. I mean, we've we've seen players and coaches from the NFL that have suffered from COVID-19. Uh, this is the first time, I think, that a school is actually closing because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, like I said, it was... It was in trouble, low enrollment, but, um, but yeah, COVID nineteen was basically the result of this thing. And uh, uh, the uh, head of research for NFL Films, Chris Willis, who's written several great books on uh, NFL history, uh, is an alumni there. He played football from there uh, many years ago, and he was actually put into the Urbana Sports Hall of Fame just last year for the school. So he was honored by the school. Now the school isn't there anymore. So wow, what a what a terrible thing to have happen uh, to, to any school, whether it's an NAIA school or big school. I mean, we've had reports over the last couple of years of schools that have uh, cut out their football program. Well, this isn't just cutting out their football program. The whole school is going away. That's been around since 1850. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, that's terrible. Just terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's it for our news. So we're going to move on to our, the second part of our interview that we had with, uh, with the birthday Mc- boy himself. McEwen. Yes. It's, uh, it's his birthday today, April 28th. And I bet and, you didn't uh, plan this out, did you? This just happened. Uh, this was a happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, last week he, he talked about the early days of his career, his playing days with the Rampage and getting, you know, becoming an assistant coach with the Rampage and then going to, uh, Oklahoma city for a year and uh, where we picked up the conversation this week, he's now returned from Oklahoma City and is now the head coach of the Grand Rapids Rampage. So let's take a listen to part two of our interview with head coach Sparky McEwen. You were in Oklahoma City for one year, and the next next year, in 2005, you became the Rampage head coach, and you were back in Grand Rapids again for... Uh, three years through 2007. 
So how was it different now that that you were the head coach as opposed it, to being an assistant? You know, it was it was different from the standpoint that the decisions that were made when Trigg had left, I think was a culmination of things. Okay. And this is where I tell people in pro sports, you gotta be careful. Okay. Because Trigg had really got that thing going, man. He had really got that thing going and you know, and uh whatever happened behind the scenes. Uh, to not keep it going, they ended up hiring uh, uh, you know another coach in, and he he really you know uh, made it difficult for uh, front office. He made it difficult for the next coach to come in, which was me, and and I I spent pretty much my entire time mending some um, you know some wounds, you know uh, cleaning up a lot of things that was done. In that when you know that saying that Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was it was you know you, it was torn down in a day. Well, with that being said, when you are in pro sports, when you have a, a perception, it takes a time to build that back up. I think for a period of time, free agency, there was a certain perception of Grand Rapids, and it made it tough to go out and get those prized free agents. Uh, I went back after Clint, you know, to come back and as close as Clint and I were, believe it or not, man, Clint Dozell was extremely, extremely close to coming back to Grand Rapids when I got the head job. But you got to remember now, this is a man that just built a new home. I think it was, I think he did build, he built a new home here in Grand Rapids and he, he had his roots strong. And then all of a sudden, boom, everyone was gone. Okay. So now all of a sudden, here comes McEwen back in the mix. And and when I tell you I put something on his mind, you know, we were going to make him the highest paid player in the league the whole nine. But I was going against Dallas. And Dallas is pretty much home for Clint. Right. And, and, yeah. and, and I was that close to bringing Clint back. If I were to get if I were to have gotten Clint back, I could tell you this much. We probably would have won a couple or more arena bowls. Uh, because this is what happens. You bring in that one prize catch. The rest of your free agent says, okay, it's okay to go back there. You you understand what I'm saying? So sure. it made it tough. We we did some good things. You know, um, man, we fought. We were very competitive. Uh, we could not attract the top free agents. Um, I had one guy, Raymond Phil, y'all. You remember Phil, y'all? Oh, yeah. Had a chance to get Raymond Field, y'all, but he was damaged goods, man. He, he had a he had a torn labrum, and I had him in camp, if I if you recall. Uh, but you know, it was it was my decision that we could not continue with Raymond because the the shoulder was not ready. Kansas City ended up picking him up, and he ended up playing for Kansas City the last two games of the season the following year. But and then that next year, Kansas City Brigade ended up going, I think, thirteen and three or fourteen and two, and did really well. I think of my tenure there as the head guy, I felt good with the fact that we got the fan base to to feel good about their product again. Um, I, I, I actually attracted Chris Jackson to um, to the team. We ended up trading him to try and get some more talent in here um, to build the most competitive team we could have. Man, we were laced with 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 injuries to quarter. I think the one year we, we lost, we had seven quarterbacks go down or take snaps for us. It was 
man, it was it was tough. It was really tough. And then uh, probably a disappointment was that we felt like we were starting to get that thing back to where it needed to go. And then my contract was not extended. Um, I had a three-year deal. My contract was not extended. We brought in a new GM, Woodruff. And uh, I remember coming back from Nashville to this day. And uh, my contract didn't get extended. And that's when, you know, I think I left to go back to Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you went back to the Oklahoma City Yard Dogs. And you were there. I don't know if you were there in 2008, but I know you were there in 2009 because I came out to see a game there in Oklahoma City. Uh, because you were playing against Mike Trigg, who was the head coach of the Corpus Christi Sharks, I believe. Oh, yeah. And uh, I took my boys out there. We we drove all day, got to Oklahoma City, and, and had a great time uh, watching the game that night. Yeah, we kicked our ass. All right, I'll never forget <laughs> that one. I, hey, we almost hung 100 on him. And that, hey, listen, they almost ran me out of, uh, they almost ran me out of uh, Oklahoma City because we didn't score another touchdown to get 100. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but it was so, 2000, it was 2008, it was 2008, Randy, that, uh, I got a call, you know, I, I, I got a call from Oklahoma city. They were, um, they were doing really bad, man. They were doing really bad. And they brought me down as a consultant early. And then, um, there was no plans to, 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 at that time to stick around. They brought me in early. It was, it was, they were bad, man. And I, I couldn't consult anymore. And the next thing you know, Phil Miller, great, great, great owner, great owner. He's along the lines of a Dan DeVos class, you know, individual. And um, they brought me on and say, hey, you know, we need you to stay here to close out our season. And long story short, we we the team was awful, but we we closed out the year. They ended up firing the head coach and they hired me. And then I stayed there for a few years and we had success, man. We 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 had some success. And uh, at that time, the AFL started going through you know, their issues. Yeah. 2008, the arena league uh, shut down, but the AF2, it's minor league continued to play. And that's when I went to Oklahoma to see you. That was uh, 2009. And then in 2010, the AFL came back. Basically the AF2 bought up, bought up all the assets and bankruptcy from the uh, AFL and rebranded themselves as a new AFL. And your Oklahoma city yard dogs became an AFL team. And so you were back coaching at the AFL level in 2010. Yes, and it was it was really strange because I was basically in the AFL with the AF2 team. Mm. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, we 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 build that that thing up and we're ready to be a monster in the AF2. Okay? I mean, Randy, I was so excited about that and then all of a sudden, you know, you 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 know this name here, I was the guy that Tommy Grady launched his career with. You know, mm-hmm. uh, another name for you, uh, AFL MVP. And, you know, he got his start with me. OK, I remember his first start. He threw 10 touchdown passes in the playoffs for me against Tulsa. We lost the game. I, If I recall, I think it was 90 to 75. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, we had the firepower, man. We had a really good team. And uh, then the AFL had that whole thing going on. And, and uh, I ended up. That team ended up, that team that would be classified as an AF2 team ended up in the new structured AFL, and we competed our butts off, man. We played well. I mean, it was we, we, we were very solid, and Phil Miller did an unbelievable job, man, of, of owning that team, and we ran a first-class 
organization and players want it was a free agent destination spot. And and I've always felt that if that city had kept their AFL team, that team, matter of fact, Randy, that team that we had because it was sold because it was so much stuff going on between AFL and AF2. OK, team was sold to Seattle or some something like that. I can't really remember. But I want I you know, I, that's when I left to go into the collegiate ranks. But that team. I look the next year, that team that I had, Randy, there were starters all over the AFL. And we we had a team in Oklahoma City, I promise you, it would have been it because Tommy Grady became, you know, he became the, the the poster boy pretty much of the AFL as a quarterback. And and he was with us. We had Tommy, you know, mm-hmm. and then from our receivers to our defense. Man, they were all starters on other teams the next year. It's one of those stories that, man, those fans that follow the Yard Dogs, they knew of the team that we or the organization that, you know, was going to possibly hoist an Arena Bowl championship at some point. Okay, well, you mentioned going back to the college ranks. So after you were done with the Yard Dogs, you returned to Michigan and uh, to Ferris State University, a Division II school uh, in Big Rapids, which is just north of Grand Rapids. And uh, you were there for five years, and, and the team was national runner-up one year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, well, the beauty of that one is, you know, it's always a story behind those things. I had a number of teams calling me in the indoor game, uh, wanting me to come as an OC. You know, I had an opportunity to, to go – potentially be a head coach in the um, the AFL. But I was very uncomfortable, man. I was so uncomfortable with the direction of the league. I had some decisions to make, Randy. I had, at one point, we were headed to um, to Seattle. And I was excited about that one because I had a chance that I, I thought I was going to go work for, you know, work with Sam Adams. I think right now he's, he's, he's one of the owners in the IFL now of uh, the Spokane team, I think. But Sam was a great guy. I, you know, and Sam had talked to me. He wanted me to come with him there. Uh, but I don't think that thing took off. So there was a lot of uncertainty. And all of a sudden, I get this phone call from Tony and Nice. And, and Tony and Nice, he calls me. And he's actually looking for a good receivers coach. And it goes to show you how things work out. He calls me. And he had just gotten a job at my alma mater. And he goes, uh, I know you're pretty connected and I, I want to get a guy to come in here and be a good technician, you know, work with my receivers. And um, cause I, I go way back with Tony and I looked at, you know, I said to Tony on the phone, I said, well, what about me? And he goes, he goes, come on, don't, don't, he goes, seriously. I said, yeah, what, what, you know, I said, I'm transitioning right now. And he goes, what's going on with you? And I told him, I said, you know, I, you know, right now, you know, I've always, you know, had asked you know, um, aspirations of, coaching at the collegiate level. Uh, but because of the AFL was so great, it paid really well. It was one of the best kept secrets. I raised my family throughout the AFL career. Uh, so I had no reason to go do the college thing. So now all of a sudden, Tony's calling me and, and it was an opportunity. And Tony goes, hey, man, if you're not you know, BSing me, I, I'll go and look into this thing. Tony went and looked into it and, 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 and the powers to be there at Ferris State uh, they say, hey, we got a chance to bring our boy back home. Let's uh, bring him back home. And I was able to go and help Tony and these build that that monster, you know, that that he has. You know, Jeff Pierce did a great job. 
uh, uh, he had some he had some some guys that he left there for Tony, so the cover wasn't bare. But Tony, you know, with the 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 offensive mind that he has, man, he was able to uh, put together a good staff and and take that thing to a whole new level. And it's just, uh, man, it's just an offensive power. I mean, it's a it's a power, uh, football power in the uh, country right now. Yeah. So you were there at Ferris State for about five years or so. And then in 2017, you became the head coach at a, a brand new program, uh, Davenport University, in the same conference as Ferris. And you started to build a, a team from the ground up because they hadn't had a football team before. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 weird, Randy, because, you know, man, we've covered a lot in a short period of time. Uh, but in my resume, you know, I, I, uh, I, I interviewed for a job. I had one president. I had one president, Randy, believe it or not. I don't know if you know of the TV series called Scandal. Have you ever watched that? No, no, it's not one well, I watch. Olivia Pope is in this, and I didn't I didn't watch it either, Randy, just just to let you know. Uh, okay. but the president tells me, he goes, You're a real life scandal. And I and I said, Okay, I don't know what that means. He goes, You're Olivia Pope. Well, Olivia Pope was one that was called in when the president, I guess, I guess would do some dirt or whatever, or some some dirt will be going on in the White House or whatever. She was she was called in to clean up all the dirty messes, and then she would go off to the next job or whatever. <laughs> and so my my career to this point from Creston, they hadn't won a game two years prior, uh, two or three years prior to I got there. They hadn't won a game. Okay, Grand Rapids Rampage, the issues that you know that were there when Cortese left, I had to clean up that that deal there. Uh, actually, when I was a player in itself in 98, when Trigg took it over, I was a quarterback and then helped him get that thing, you know, rolling. And then, um, you know, at Ferris State, you know, went in to help Tony, you know, get that thing going in the right direction. And all of a sudden I'm looking at a job, you know, that's, you know, in its infancy stage, you know, you say to yourself, well, maybe that's just who I am. You know, you go in. So I, and oh, I forgot about Oklahoma City. Hell, I went down with that startup program there. I just got to the point where I say, maybe this is just who I am. You know, the guy that goes in and you either take a doormat club or organization or program or one that's you're building from scratch and and, and you get it going. So all of a sudden, Davenport had had uh, Lou Esposito. He went in, did a heck of a job to start it up. They played one year in NAIA. Uh, he went off to uh, Western Michigan as the um, this assistant DC or DC for Tim Lester, and that's an interesting story because I recruited both those two when they were playing uh, indoor football. You know, I looked at both of them. Uh, so I take over that program, and we got our work cut out for us, but we're headed in the right direction. Well, I've got just a few more questions for you, and the first question kind of goes back to something you said earlier about your son wanting you to play football so he could get free tickets. How old was your son at that time? In 98, that would have, uh, that would have made him like 12. He was like, he was like 12 years old. So and, your whole uh, career is based on what a 12 year old wanted. Yeah. You know, for the most part, you know, and, and as crazy as it sounds, I guess you know, and that, that's crazy too, because yeah, that that same twelve year old, he still drives me crazy to the day he's married <laughs> in uh, Texas, and he's got my granddaughter down there. But yeah, that twelve year old was is the one that pretty much uh, springboard me to where I'm at today. Uh, one other question here: Have you ever held another job other than a coaching job? 
I mean, did you ever work at a Dairy Queen or McDonald's or anything other than coaching? Well, one of my boys were looking through my resume, believe it or not. Yes, I, I when I was at Creston, but I was coaching football. I, uh, I, I, I worked, I worked full time at the high school. Uh, one year, I, I worked as a, a special education instructor. One year, another couple years, I worked in security. Uh, but I was coaching football. This is, you know, football was my full time job, though, Randy. <laughs> and uh, but at one point, my son looked at my resume. He goes, hey, this can't be right on your resume. At one point, you held four jobs. I said, yeah. And I also had a third shift cleaning job. Oh, and, and I and I and I always tell the, the kids and, and you know how this works, Randy. You got to do whatever it takes. Yep. To make sure that your family is getting a good education, has got a hot meal on the table, uh, is doing is you just, you just got to put your family in the best position possible. Okay, so what's what's coming up next for Sparky McEwen? Well, the 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 the, the next step for me, it's it's pretty simple. You know, um, I'm kind of following orders of the governor right now of chilling out and practicing social distancing and. And all that stuff, uh, but Randy, with all seriousness, I'm a little worried because I, I don't I don't know what the future holds for football, for sports, for life, you know, at this point. But um, my hopes is that we get back to some normalcy, um, you know, here soon. And once we get back to some normalcy, man, I I I absolutely uh, right now because I'm seasoned vet at this, you know, taking programs like this and. Um, we're, it's only been four programs in the GLIAC the last two years with a non-losing season, Randy, and I bet you can't name the four. Can you name the four? Uh, in the GLIAC, let's see, uh, uh, Grand, uh, oh, shoot, um, well, I would say Ferris and probably Davenport and, uh, Grand Valley. I, I can't think of a third one or a fourth one. Ashland. Ashland. Okay. So, so. And I'm surprised you said Davenport, but I think you said that because I said it's only four teams. But uh, I, I think I think after two years in this conference, which is considered the SEC of Division II football, I, I'm I, I'm proud to say that we're headed in the right direction. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, Sparky. It's been nice catching up with you. We, we've crossed paths for many years, and uh, uh, it's it's been too long. Like you said, 2014 was the last time we actually saw each other in person, and we need to change that. Oh man, we'll we'll have to change that, and then the next time we get together, we'll we'll sit down and we'll share some of those AFL stories because I got a bunch of them for you, Randy. Excellent. Looking forward to it. All right, you stay stay home, stay safe. Uh, hopefully, we'll get all get through this soon. It'll all be over, and uh, we'll get back to some kind of normal life that involves football, college football, pro football, whatever. Oh my uh, goodness, we man. Need that. I, we we need it. We need it so bad. I, 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 you know, I've got NFL Network going on behind me, and and uh, actually, I got a meeting with my student athletes here coming up in uh, five minutes. So, oh. uh, but we got to get back to football sometime soon. And then, uh, my hope is that I get the chance to see you this fall. Sounds good. Yeah, I need to get up there for a for a Davenport game. All right, give me a call. All right, thanks, Sparky. Take yep. take care, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Yeah. Bye bye. I think I said it last week, but uh, that was a heck of an interview I had to edit. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. It, I was kind of 
bummed that we had to split it into two parts, but it worked out. Uh, there's just so much good stuff and a lot of good stories in there that he tells. And I, I also mentioned it last week. <laughs> Very honest guy. Yeah. Uh, so good interview. Happy birthday, coach. Thanks for coming on and talking to my dad because he <laughs> he can be a pain in the butt sometimes. <laughs> oh, thank you, son. What about you? What was your takeaways from your, your interview with Sparky? Um, I've known Sparky for many, many years. I started covering the Rampage uh, in 2003, and I got to interview him many times on the field after games. Uh, like you said, he's a very honest guy. He's not going to BS you. He's going to tell you exactly what's going on and what he thinks. And uh, uh, it's refreshing. You know, uh, you can tell a lot of times when somebody is, is trying to BS you when you're when you're asking them a question after a game, and uh, I rarely ever got that from Sparky when I was yeah. talking to him. So, so yeah, it's uh, it was good catching up with him, uh, and I do want to get to see him this this fall. Hopefully, when uh, things get back to normal, that uh, they'll have a college season, and maybe uh, even have like, another interview with him. I have a sit down interview with him. I'm yeah. sure he's got more stories he can tell us, <laughs> yeah. as he said himself. He's got way more oh, he yeah. can tell you about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we're going to move on to some birthdays today. April 28th, we already mentioned today is uh, Sparky McEwen's birthday, but uh, kicker, Speed, yeah, kicker Pete Stojanovich turns 53 years old today. He played his college football at Indiana, and then he went on to play 12 seasons in the NFL. He played for the Miami Dolphins from 89 to 95. He was with the Kansas City Chiefs from 96 through 99. And that last year, he split his time between Kansas City and, or I'm sorry, um, he spent the 2000 season with the St. Louis Rams, so he ended his, his career in 2000. So happy birthday to kicker Pete Stojanovic. And uh, then we've got uh, a couple of obituaries this week. Uh, we'll start off with the first one here. Dave Fleming, who played in the CFL and in the NFL, has passed away at the age of 96. Fleming played college football at the University of Pittsburgh, he then went to Canada, where he played 10 seasons as a running back and defensive back for the Hamilton Tiger Cats from 1965 to 1974. He won three Grey Cup titles with Hamilton in 65, 67, and 72. In 71, he recorded the longest reception in franchise history, which was a 108-yard catch and run for a touchdown against the Toronto Argonauts. Our second obituary is that of, and I hope I am pronouncing this gentleman's last name correctly, uh, Milt Sundy uh, was a guard in the NFL for 11 seasons and has passed away at the age of 78. Sundy played his college football at the University of Minnesota and was selected in the 20th round of the 1964 NFL Draft by the Minnesota Vikings. He played his entire career with the Vikings from 1964 to 1974. He won an NFL title with the Vikings in 1969, but lost to the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl IV. After his playing career was over, Sunday owned his own car dealership and coached girls' high school basketball. Our next obituary is Zach Henderson, who was a defensive back in the NFL, the CFL, and the USFL. He's passed away at the age of 67. Henderson played college football at Oklahoma and was a member of the Sooners' 1974 undefeated national championship team as a freshman. He played for the CFL's Hamilton Tiger Cats in 1974 and 1975. He then returned to the NFL and played for the Philadelphia Eagles in 19, uh, 1980. He went back to Canada and played for the Toronto Argonauts in 82 and 83 where he was named the CFL's Eastern Conference Defensive Player of the Year in 1982. 
Henderson finished his playing career in the USFL with the Tampa Bay Bandits in 1984 and 1985. And our final obituary this week is that of Pelham McDaniels III, a linebacker in the NFL for seven seasons and has passed away at the age of 52. McDaniels played his college football at Oregon State. Uh, McDaniels played two seasons in the World League of American Football with the Birmingham Fire in 1991 and 1992. He then signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, where he played seven seasons from 1993 to 1998. He finished his playing career with the Atlanta Falcons in 1999. In 2018, McDaniels became the curator of African-American collections at Emory University. He lectured on African-American history and also wrote several books on the subject. All right, that's it for the obituaries. Uh, I guess we're going to move on to this week's two-minute history lesson. And this week, we talk about the time when Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi actually faced off against each other on the gridiron. Curly Lambeau was born and raised in Green Bay. He founded the Green Bay Packers in 1919 and was the head coach of the team for 31 years through 1949. He won six NFL titles, including three straight titles from 1929 through 1931. Curly Lambeau's name is synonymous with the Green Bay Packers. Vince Lombardi, on the other hand, was born in New York. He spent time as an assistant coach at West Point and also in the NFL. He was hired as the head coach of the Packers in 1959 and led the Packers to five NFL titles, including two straight in 1961 and 1962 and three straight from 1965 to 1967. He also won the first two Super Bowls. Vince Lombardi's name is also synonymous with the Green Bay Packers. Both of these men took the Packers to the pinnacle of the NFL multiple times during their careers with the team. Today, Lambeau Field resides on Lombardi Avenue in Green Bay. There is no doubt that both of these men will forever be linked to the storied history of the Packers. But in 1957, after Lambeau was no longer with the Packers and before Lombardi even came to Green Bay, the two men met on the gridiron. It occurred on August 9, 1957, during the annual College All-Star Game in Chicago. The college squad faced off against the defending NFL champions, the New York Giants. It was the third year that Lambeau had coached the college team but it would also be the last football game that he would ever coach. His team that year included two players that would go on to become huge stars for the Packers, and Ron Kramer from the University of Michigan, and halfback Paul Horning of Notre Dame. But it was not enough as the Giants defeated Lambeau's all-star team 22-12. The offensive coordinator of the Giants that day was none other than future Packers coach Vince Lombardi. Lambeau was at the end of his coaching career and Lombardi would begin his run in Green Bay two years later. Lambeau has an iconic stadium named after him and Lombardi's name adorns the NFL championship trophy. While Lambeau and Lombardi only met one time on the gridiron, the fact that they both led the Packers to multiple NFL titles is all that matters in the hearts and minds of the fans of the Green Bay Packers. If there's one type of story I think a lot of sports fans cherish more than others, it is when two legends 
you know, meet one another, whether at the time it was uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people how big one or the other would be or, right. you know, whatnot. I, it's a fun story. I'd never heard that one before. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's interesting because nobody knew, you know, how great Vince Lombardi was going to be. They they knew uh, all about Curly Lambeau. He'd been a, a star for many years in the NFL, uh, but his career was on the decline, and, and uh, uh, here, was, here was Vince Lombardi, who at the time was just a defensive coordinator. I mean, who knew that this event was going to be uh, a big in, in football lore and football history? But, uh, yeah, you never know when things like that are going to happen. All right, upcoming events calendar. We have one event, and that's oh. this Thursday. The Canadian Football League draft is going to be conducted uh, by conference call. I don't know if we're going to get much uh, video from this or not. But, Never uh, do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they 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 do it on a conference call, but uh, I think one of the uh, uh, networks up in Canada does have, like, live updates, but I don't think you even see any of their war rooms or anything like that. They just, as as the names pop up on the ticker, that's, you know, they'll talk about this guy, maybe show some highlights or whatever. So, yeah, a lot more low-key. You know, maybe they'll take a, a note from the uh, uh, from the NFL this year. Maybe they will have some cameras at some of these guys' homes. You know, and, and they, they draft only Canadian citizens. Yeah. But some of these guys are currently playing on uh, major college teams. You know, uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't so, the number one pick last year a Central Michigan alum? Uh, was it last year? I, I know that uh, we've had a guy from Western Michigan a few years ago. Well, got, Western, but there was a Central, drafted I by say. the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, yes, I think you're right. Yes, their top pick last year was playing at Central Michigan. So, so yeah, so you never know who they're who they're uh, going to pick, but uh, we'll have a, a rundown of uh, some of their top picks, maybe their first round, which is only nine players. But yeah, uh, yeah we'll we'll let you know uh, how many players came from uh, U.S. schools and and that sort of thing. So um, that'll be something we'll talk about next week on the show. All right, well that's everything for this week. It's been a, a quite a full show, even yeah. <laughs> even though it. Uh, uh, there's not a whole lot going on, but uh, luckily the draft helped pad some of uh, yeah. today's airtime. Uh, yep, another it, good interview. It gave people something to talk about. The uh, the draft gave us something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and we was, didn't even have to mention Tom Brady uh, getting kicked out of a park or, or stumbling into go, somebody else's yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Th- <laughs> this was a Tom Brady free uh, podcast until now. So thanks for bringing that up. Hey, I had to. I think people <laughs> out there who are listening, why did they talk about Tom Brady? Well, there <laughs> yeah. we do. We. We just talked about it. Yeah. And I'm sure they've heard about it to death everywhere else. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything pop up on your phone uh, since we've been talking? Well, your daughter texted me, uh, my sister, uh-huh. just sending me pictures of what phone you should get next. <laughs> oh. I'm not worried about that. Outside of that, uh, nothing really. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this show up then. All right. That's all the time we've got for this week. If you learned something during this podcast about the incredible amount of diversity that exists in the world of football, and we've done our job. Visit our website at theworldoffootball.com for news, links, upcoming events, videos, and more. Our email address is info at theworldoffootball.com. You can also like The World of Football on Facebook at TWOF Kalamazoo, where we post a lot of unique stories, pictures, and highlights from all over the world of football. You can also follow our Twitter. That is at TWOF Kalamazoo. New episodes of this podcast are posted every Tuesday and are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So please subscribe, rate, review, let us know what you think, and please come be a part of the football conversation. And remember, folks, some people may love football more than we do, but nobody loves more football than we do. 
Join us again next week when we'll review all the happenings around the world of football. Until then, I'm Randy Snow. And I'm Adam Snow. And we'll see you next week.